New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. It is only through a change in human consciousness that the world will be transformed. The personal and the planetary are connected. As we expand our awareness of mind, body, psyche, and spirit, and bring that awareness actively into the world, so also will the world be changed. This is our quest as we explore new dimensions. These days we are all preoccupied with not only our personal challenges, but the ongoing economic crisis, natural disasters, political instability, celebrity scandals, and more. It seems like we are all going a little crazy and feeling a little lost. It's hard to know where to turn and how to discern what is best for our life, our future, and how to step outside of the fear and chaos to find happiness, purpose, and joy. Why am I here? What am I meant to do? What is my purpose? These questions and more serve as the focus for this edition of New Dimensions with our guest, Dan Millman. Dan Millman teaches worldwide, speaking to women and men from all walks of life, including leaders in the fields of health, psychology, education, business, politics, sports, entertainment, and the arts. He's the author of many books, including Way of the Peaceful Warrior, which was adapted to a major film with Nick Nolte and Amy Smart and The Four Purposes of Life, Finding Meaning and Direction in a Changing World. Join us for the next hour as we discover how to find happiness, purpose, and joy with our guest, Dan Millman. My name is Michael Toms. I'll be your host. Welcome to New Dimensions. Dan, welcome. Thank you, Michael. So, Dan, why four purposes? That's a good question. In fact, a friend of mine said, I know the purpose of life. It's it's learning to love. He said, whatever the question, love is the answer. And I couldn't really argue with that. And someone else said, no, there are three purposes. No, there are five. Or our purpose is awakening or surrender to God. Um, and all these are wonderful uh, purposes for various people. But it seems to me just as we can divide the points on a compass into four major directions and the days of the year into four seasons, um, by Looking at the totality of our life experience and through the filter of the four purposes I describe in the new book, um, it gives a sense of order and structure uh, to our life experience. Um, so that's that's uh, why I ended up with four. I didn't uh, strategize it. it. They just came up, and that's what seemed uh, to fulfill the order. What are they? Well, to summarize the four purposes, the first is learning life's lessons. The second... Uh, has to do with our finding our career and calling. The one most people think of is, what is my purpose? What am I here to do? The third is more mysterious and provocative. It's based on material um, in a previous book I wrote called The Life You Were Born to Live. And uh, I'll say more about that later. But our life path or our hidden calling behind backstage in the theater of life, uh, it deals with that element. And the fourth purpose uh, has to do with attending to this arising moment. It's our purpose in this each moment. And so that's a summary of these four I go into.
You say daily life as the master teacher. Talk about that. Well, that comes up in the first purpose, learning life's lessons. And I have to acknowledge when someone hears that, they I don't think anybody slaps their forehead and goes, who knew? You know, we're here to learn lessons. But it's based on the idea that earth isn't just a school, but fundamentally it's a perfect school guaranteed to teach us everything we need to learn to evolve through the challenges and relationships and finances and money and all the activities of daily life. Um, and most people have noticed that uh, lessons repeat themselves until we learn them patiently. And if we don't learn the easy ones, they get more dramatic. Um, so that's what I mean by Earth being a school. But it goes much deeper than that. Because if many people may hear me say this, they may read it in the book and go, okay, fine, you know, we're here to learn lessons. But if we start to view our lives as fundamentally the core purpose is learning, then even a very bad day in a relationship or at work or at school or in a sport, for example, can be a profoundly good day in terms of learning. And no one can possibly fail at anything if they've learned something from it. Because even though we think it's on the surface, oh, if I win or lose, that makes a big difference. But it's not. It's about learning. And so when we accept that as the core of our life, it can shift our entire perspective on life. Everything we do becomes a way or a path in order to learn. And of, of course, the question comes up, well, that's fine. We're here to learn. But you know, if life is a school, if Earth is a school, what, what's our curriculum? What courses do we have to pass in order to graduate? And I go into what I call 12 required courses. Yes. Now, I need to acknowledge that in my past books, I think this is my 15th book, last I counted, and I describe them as different facets of what I describe as the peaceful warrior's way, also different pieces of the puzzle. And so this is the first time I was ready, actually, to put those pieces together in a new and clear context of the four purposes of life. So those 12 required courses I just mentioned or referred to, actually, um, I outline them in more detail in a, in a previous book also called Everyday Enlightenment, where I call them the gateways to personal growth. Um, but here it's seen in that context of learning life's lessons. So, and these are courses every one of us is enrolled in, but we don't know it. And, and if I could just share a brief dream, I've checked this with audiences when I've been on speaking engagements all over the world. I did it in Brazil last, and I asked people, there were about a thousand people there, and I said, please raise your hand if you've had dreams like I have, repeated dreams even years after college, with these dreams where... I took a course, I couldn't find my way to the final exam, it was very disorienting, or I realized I'd forgotten to take the course, though I had an exam coming up. And many people have had similar kinds of dreams. Well, in a way, life is like that. We're in these courses and we get pop quizzes all the time. We get tests and exams, but we've forgotten we're enrolled in them. So in outlining, very briefly, I distill these 12 courses it helps us, again, to see what we're actually doing here and what we're here to do. So that's why this, the first purpose, Learning Life's Lessons, is all about these courses we're taking in everyday life. Sometimes we get, we get caught in, in uh, an event that we didn't really plan or think about. It just happens. You had a motorcycle accident yes, that I did. really changed your life. Talk about that. Well, it did. Uh, as described in my first book, A Way of the Peaceful Warrior, and in the movie, um, where it was depicted pretty accurately. I did shatter my right thigh. Uh, and the doctor said it was about 40 pieces. Uh, quite disappointing at the time. 
Um, and, and I do acknowledge that probably I would not be speaking with you today. I might not be teaching today. I might. It shook me up. I started asking bigger questions about life. Um, I do not recommend fractures as a method of personal and sure. spiritual growth. But when adversities, large or small, happen, I've never seen one without hidden gifts. Uh, we've all had physical, emotional, mental pain in our life. But most of us, if we look back, we see that we're a little bit stronger maybe because of that. Perhaps a little wiser, have a different sense of perspective of what the big stuff is and the little stuff. So in that sense, uh, adversity does have hidden gifts. We don't have to look for it. Um, in fact, often we volunteer for adversity. Um, sports are a form of voluntary adversity. They're like life, but more so. Or learning a musical instrument. Um, we go against cycles of learning and frustration and self-doubt. So these are avenues of growth and, and uh, raising kids, uh, getting married, forms of voluntary adversity. And I don't say that in a tongue-in-cheek comedic way. Um, I have a, you know, Joy and I have been married 35 years at the, uh, as of today, or close to that. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, and yet... Uh, any couples, you know, bump heads now and then. We, we, uh, so it is a, a challenging arena. We learn a lot about ourselves through relationships and raising children. There's a saying that uh, mature adults don't make children. Children make mature adults. Uh, so it, it is challenging, as is the world of business. So all of these are forms. Uh, we, don't, we sign up for it. And um, it gives us a thread of attention that it can help us to appreciate the value of our daily lives and the challenges therein. Um, the school rules, uh, let's talk about those. Uh, uh, e equals MC squared and so on. What are, what are the school rules? What, why are they important? Well, if daily life is our classroom, if we're in school here, yeah, every school has certain rules. And on planet Earth, we call them universal or spiritual laws, natural laws, as real as the law of gravity. And what makes something a, a school rule um, is not, uh, it's, it's different from a theory or a principle or a proverb or an aphorism uh, in the sense that it's consistent and universal. For example, the law of gravity, we can count on it every time. Um, I came across many quotes in my life that seemed wise and true, like, um, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Oh, but you're never too old to learn. Or he or she who hesitates is lost, but look before you leap. Birds of a feather flock together, but opposites attract. So um, you can't really find consistency. But then I came across one that said a chain breaks at its weakest link. I couldn't find an exception to that. It was the first time I came across a statement that could be viewed as a kind of spiritual law. You can count on it. And of course, it's not just chains. The universal part is everybody breaks at their weakest link. Everything in the known universe that I've seen breaks at its weakest link. So... That's what makes a spiritual law different from a proverb or principle and so on. And I like to define terms and have an understanding of what words and, and uh, these things are. So, um, by the way, universal laws, the school rules are not about morality. They're not about human ideas of what's right or wrong. Bertrand Russell once said sin is geographical because it changes from cultures to some degree. Um, it's about action and consequences. That's how we really learn in the school of life. So if someone ignores the law of gravity when they're skydiving or, or rock climbing, it doesn't make them a bad person, just might make them dead. Um, so this is how we learn in the school of life and learn the school rules. And the more we follow them, the smoother uh, our life becomes.
Now you were you were at Stanford, you were a gymnastics teacher and a coach and and uh, at Stanford, I believe, right? At, yes, I was a gymnast at UC Berkeley, and, and then also I, at Oberlin. I right? coached at Stanford, and I was a professor at Oberlin College yeah. after that. Yeah. So, what took you from that to what you're doing now? Well, there were two shifts in my life, really, Michael. Uh, the first. Uh, I was focused, almost obsessed with how to create more talent for sports as an athlete and a coach. That was a major concern. And I define talent as the ability in any field to learn faster and easier and rise to higher levels. Um, and I, it, it seemed to me intuitively that it was more developed than innate, maybe 20% innate uh, body types and so on or lend themselves to different sports. Um, and I said, if it could be developed, how would we do that? And I worked with a gymnast at Stanford, and my theories bore out pretty well in practice. I, I trained them in those elements that make up physical talent, coordination, rhythm, timing, balance, reflex speed, uh, strength, suppleness, and so on. And the team went from the bottom of the conference to one of the top teams in the nation in about three and a half years. I trained the top U.S. Olympian, as a matter of fact. And I might still be coaching today, but I, I came to realize that being able to do somersaults and cartwheels didn't really help me when I went out on a date or got married or had children or dealt with financial challenges or the actual events and challenges of everyday life. So I started asking bigger questions. How can we develop talent, not just for sports, but for our lives, for daily life? And so I started out, I believe spiritual life starts on the ground, not up in the air. So because of that past athletic experience and coaching, I was more inclined for practical outcomes than abstract theories. And that's what began that area of my life. We can come back to that when we have the break. I'm speaking with Dan Millman. He's the author of The Four Purposes of Life, Finding Meaning and Direction in a Changing World. My name is Michael Toms, and you're listening to New Dimensions. guest is Dan Millman. He's the author of The Four Purposes of Life. Dan, we were talking about uh, the shifts in your life and how you went from being a, a coach and athlete and trainer of, of uh, gymnasts. Um, and you were, so let's talk about that. You were, there were two shifts. Well, the second one was perhaps coincident, uh, happened at an earlier time. But when I was young, I was also focused on self-improvement, on um, I took memory courses and speed reading courses and physical training, martial arts when I was very young, and then gymnastics and so on. But one day, I it just kind of struck me that uh, no matter how much I improved myself, one person benefited. But if I could somehow influence other people, uh, that made my life more meaningful. If I could touch other lives. And uh, not everybody's called to that. 
um, but it, I was, and I loved the idea of teaching. So over time, I had to learn something about the craft of writing and speaking in order to do that, to reach out to people. And I've been doing that ever since. So those two shifts of talent for sport to talent for living and that call to teaching uh, has shaped had shaped my life since then. And, uh, so far, 15 books and uh, speaking for about uh, 30 years now. Yeah. Sounds like it's working. Um, the difference between career and calling. Think about that for a moment. Sure. And that I do address that in the second purpose in the book. It's the... Um, Again, defining terms. Actually, my one of my very smart daughters suggested, you know, she read the earlier draft of the manuscript and said, Dad, you mentioned career and calling, but wouldn't it be important to, you know, define those? And I said, you know, that makes sense. And then I just kind of asked internally. That happens a lot. And boom, it, it became clear that uh, many of us have a rough idea. We use the terms career and calling, but some people use it in a confused or sort of uh, uh, synonymous way. And our career fundamentally is about uh, an income, making an income. It's fundamental all over the world. People trade their skills, their experience, their expertise in some area for an income to support themselves and their family. Now, we may like our career. We may find it meaningful. We may like who we work with. But if we weren't getting paid, we'd probably have to do something else. Whereas our calling doesn't necessarily have to do with money at all. It's something we don't just want to do. I mean, George Balanchine, the, the choreographer, said, I'm not looking for people who want to dance. I'm looking for people who need to dance. And our calling is almost a need. Uh, maybe it's playing a musical instrument or doing other creative art form. Maybe it's a calling to the clergy or military or philanthropic organizations. Uh, it can start out as simply a hobby or a pastime, but it might develop into something more. In fact, I tell a story in there about the man who loved throwing the Frisbees. Yes, it's uh, a great story. And it became a way of life and changed his whole life. And I can tell that if you like later. Yes. Uh, but just to, to illustrate that, um, our calling, what we love doing, may monetize into a career. Uh, it was thrilling for me the first time I ever wrote an article and got paid $100 for it. I went, I can actually make money. It wasn't real to me until I wrote and I actually got paid for writing. So my career and calling have coincided there. They blended into one, but that's not necessarily superior. Many people like that idea, but it's perfectly appropriate to have a job, a profession, something we make an income at, and then uh, a calling uh, in our discretionary time. So they don't have to be this one and the same. People, when, when we're told, the reason it's important to know those two things is there are a lot of starving artists who feel like I've been told to follow my heart and do what I love, and I can't compromise. And they end up starving artists where maybe a day job would be a good idea to stabilize their life, uh, have a place to pay, you know, to pay the rent, to get food, and to unleash their creativity from a healthful uh, foundation. And other people, though, all they value is making money for their family to the degree that they've abandoned something that might have enriched their life, a calling. Um, so it's good for us to understand the difference between the two and how they both fit into our lives, whether they blend or are separate. I want to go back to that, what, what happened when you had the motorcycle accident. And you gave, told a great story uh, about uh, Betty Rollin, and where, again, you quoted a New York Times letter. Um, and she had been a, she was a cancer patient, and what, what that involved for her. And, and just can you describe that? 
Well, I don't really have her. She articulated it so beautifully, and I don't have it memorized to share it. But essentially, she went through something we consider very, very difficult. And she did survive that that bout with cancer. And she looks back and sees it as an extraordinarily valuable time, and she's grateful for it. And I think this is a repeating theme. We've probably read things like that in various articles on people. And that, again, is that sense of adversity and the hidden gifts therein, how it gives us perspective and wisdom. Sometimes climbing out of a deep, dark hole can give us the strength to climb the mountain. And uh, Betty Rollins, that's why I included her the letter in the Times, yes. because she illustrates that uh, beautifully in the book. And she talked about how, to, how appreciating every moment in life and, uh, and, and, of course, the antithesis of that is the poor me syndrome. And, of course, we, there are, you know, people that go into that place of, poor me, why is this happening to me? What, what did I do? You talking yeah. about that? The, the why, why is so difficult. I, I, um, I can, certainly there's nothing wrong with finding reasons for things, but we need to realize their arbitrary nature, that we just find a convenient reason. We don't even know why we feel the way we do, because it's like weather patterns. Uh, there's so many different variables that combine how much sleep we got, what we ate last night, our biorhythms, our astrological transits, who knows why we feel anything in a given moment. So um, I, I, I shy away from, from whys. Um, uh, in fact, at, at the very end of the book, you know, I go into how life just arises in mystery, and uh, life comes at us in waves, and sometimes they're ripples, and sometimes literally tsunamis, uh, and we can't control them, and we can't predict those waves. All we can do is learn to be good surfers, and learn to ride it out. And uh, many teachers apply that law of acceptance uh, in terms of moment to moment. But, of course, that's getting ahead of ourselves in the fourth purpose of life. <laughs> the, uh, uh, go back to the 12 core subjects that you uh, talked about and wrote about. Um, there was self-worth, discipline, well-being, money, mind, intuition, emotion, courage, self-knowledge, sexuality, love, and service. These are required courses, as you put it. And it's interesting, what sounds like an arbitrary list, like a bulleted a series of bulleted points, um, for years I spoke with groups and taught long seminars uh, about it, and I've asked people, can you come up with another, a 13th? And nobody has yet that wasn't encompassed in those four areas. You know, those 12 areas, self-worth, for example, is different from self-esteem. Um, it has to do with how deserving we feel. And it operates more on what we might call the subconscious level. We're not always aware of our level in any given moment of how deserving we feel. But, you know, Ramakrishna said, an ocean of abundance or bliss can rain down from the heavens. But if we only hold up a thimble, that's all we're going to get. And so each of us has different a tendency towards self-sabotage, getting in our own way. So that's uh, the first. And I go into each of these required courses. The uh, Obviously, it's a foundation element, how to turn what we know into what we actually do. Because there's no lack of information today. But, but uh, Bodhidharma said, all know the way, few walk it. How do we reclaim our will and turn what we know into what we actually do? So that's the second uh, foundation element. The third is energizing our body. And from there, of course, managing our money, 
achieving sufficiency and stability in life, most people are preoccupied with money one way or the other, not just today, but in all times. And then taming our mind, of course, that's a major element, and I have a different take on that and uh, than many other teachers. And um, then trusting our intuition. So what is your take? What, why is it different? Well, it's, it's different in the sense that... Um, even though uh, in a future book I'll be writing much more about meditation, I really haven't spent a lot of time on that subject. Um, but we have ideas about, even in the Peace Warrior movie, you know, take out the garbage as in in your head. And so we imagine we need to learn to think positively and have quiet mind. Um, and there are certain idealistic notions in the spiritual and religious traditions. When I ask audiences, how many of you have read a book on positive thinking? Many hands go up and I say, okay, then how many of you have just had positive thoughts for the last week? All the hands go down. And I go, yes, but if you'd read the book twice, if you'd highlighted it and done all the exercises, that's what people believe. But actually, I've been around the track. I've done a lot of inner work. And um, sometimes my thoughts are positive and sometimes they're negative, And that's okay because my focus is more about what we do from moment to moment, not about necessarily having to fix our insides and have just the right thoughts and just the right emotions so we can live well. And I go into that in one of the other required courses, accepting our emotions, facing our fears. Um, so I try to, you know, all the wisdom's been expressed. You know that, Michael, and not just by modern teachers, but by the ancient uh, the Taoists and the Greeks and the Romans. But every generation needs new voices. So I, my job is to express it as clearly as I can through these 12 required courses in that first uh, learning life's lessons and then getting more into career and calling and, and uh, the importance of self-knowledge in understanding ourselves. Because if we don't understand ourselves, we can pick the right spouse or the right career for the wrong person, the one we thought we were. So that's why self-knowledge is so important in that second uh, purpose, which is our career and calling. Yeah. The, um, after in mind, there was intuition. Let's talk about intuition. And- oh, yeah, jumping back. Um, well, again, Look, we have, I know the right and left brain are not strictly divided as we once uh, saw. One side can take over for others if there's injury. But we can still speak in a general sense of that more linear logical thinking. Uh, science, in a way, is the religion of the left brain. Uh, and and uh, the right brain is associated with subconscious, with holistic, intuitive kinds of uh, of, of thinking. And, and we need to trust both of those. It's about really becoming whole. It's not rejecting the intellect by any means. I'm, I'm a big fan of science. The double-blind controlled experiment pulled us out of the dark ages of superstition. Um, but if science becomes a fundamentalist religion, and it is in some corners of the world, um, then, then faith becomes heresy, becomes uh, uh, fringe. And I think it's important for us to be able to feel our way through the world, sense our way through the world, in the martial arts, it's absolutely necessary. In combat and in life, if you start thinking too much, you're dead. So there's a way to approach life with the intellect and our intellectual capacities. There's also a time to kind of trust that uh, subliminal sense. And All of us have made logical decisions and we wake up the next morning with a funny feeling about it. And I, I would listen. I'm suggesting we listen to those feelings. And so that's, that's uh, again, one of those little required courses in our school of life. Courage. Well, courage is really uh, about facing our fears. What many people don't realize, they feel a lot of fear and they think they're a coward. But we can't even demonstrate courage unless we're feeling afraid. And it's perfectly appropriate to feel afraid in certain situations. It's part of our 
you know, physiology, our neurology. So, I mean, Customato said it well. He was an old boxing coach, and he said, heroes and cowards feel exactly the same fear. They just respond differently. So I got to redefine what it means to face our fears. Um, fear can be a wonderful servant, but it can be a terrible master. So it's about um, managing our fears, understanding those things, and how to overcome them through our behavior rather than focusing on shifting the feelings. For example, I ask people, if you're climbing a sheer cliff and you're a thousand feet up, would you rather focus on getting rid of the fear of falling or on climbing well? I know what I'd rather focus on. Yeah. I'm speaking with uh, Dan Millman. He's the author of The Four Purposes of Life, Finding Meaning and Direction in a Changing World. If you'd like more information about Dan's work, you can go to the website peacefulwarrior.com. That's peacefulwarrior.com. You can also get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. We're going to come back to, to Dan and talk about the, there's a couple more core subjects to cover, and then we'll continue our conversation. My name is Michael Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm speaking with Dan Millman. He's the author of The Four Purposes of Life, Finding Meaning and Direction in a Changing World. Dan, we were talking about the required courses, the course subjects, and there's just a couple, the sexuality and love and service, just to wrap that up. Sure, and I want to emphasize, if anyone's feeling burdened to all these different required courses, we've been taking them anyway. We might as well know what they are. Yes. <laughs> and sexuality, that's, that's a tricky area. Obviously, we can't ignore that aspect of our lives any more than we can ignore money or, or courage or any other central core part of life. Whether or not someone's sexually active, it is, embracing our sexuality is just embracing who we are. Um, and, and, of course... We're not talking about the fringes of violence or anything like that, hurting people, but just in terms of relations between people and whatever people they choose to relate to in a sexual way, is that's, that's part of life. Um, so it's, it's really accepting who we are. There's so many charges around sexuality. Um, I, I remember, in fact... Jocelyn Elders, who was the Surgeon General in the Clinton administration, yes. and, you know, a fairly liberal administration, yes. she was speaking with a group of high school students, making the most rational possible suggestion that instead of getting involved with uh, uh, early sexuality with one another, where they, they, they suffer sexually transmitted diseases, teen pregnancies, she suggested they might consider self-pleasuring. She was gone the next day. She, yes. she, she quote unquote resigned. So we think we're sophisticated sexually, but we really are are not. Um, being sexual is not meaning we have sophistication. So embracing our sexuality is looking, exploring the the Puritan part of ourselves and the hedonist part of ourselves, and seeing how they work it out internally. Uh, Socrates, my old mentor, once said, I call myself a peaceful warrior because the most important battles are inside. And that's one area that, well, Barbara Rasp uh, once wrote, uh, the lesson is simple, the student is complicated. And and we complicate food, we complicate sexuality. So that that course is us learning to be who we are 
and relaxing into our humanity. It really fundamentally is about that. Um, accepting pleasure uh, and, and uh, finding a balance between self-indulgence and self-denial. Finding that balance. Yes. And then love and service. Well, love is about awakening our heart. And I have, again, a different take than many teachers. It's not, I mean, I can give techniques. I used to teach methods of exercise in the heart chakra, so to speak, like a muscle. It gets stronger with use. And there are ways to connect your heart with your voice, with thoughts even, um, with our ears, listening from our heart and looking at the world through the eyes of the heart, so to speak. And so there are exercises where we can get more in touch uh, with that organ in our chest, literally, uh, and that sense of love and connection. But fundamentally, it's not about feeling loving all the time. I personally don't believe the saints felt loving all the time. They were human beings. But I believe they behaved with loving kindness, whether or not they were feeling that way. And that takes a warrior spirit, uh, ironically. Um, so awakening, awakening the heart is about bringing more loving kindness into life rather than um, the alternative. And it's about more about what we do than what we feel because we have more control over what we do than what we happen to be feeling at any given moment. And the final, uh, the final of these required courses is service. And when people hear the word service, it's sort of, oh, yeah, I know, it's good to do service and do things for other people and volunteer, but there's much more to it. There are little things we can do every day. A kind word to someone is a form of service. A smile. I know it's a little corny, but if someone doesn't have a smile, you can give them one of yours. That, that idea. Um, these little things can make a big difference. And I tell a, a story uh, about that in, in the book. Um, but service is a wonderful segue because... It's not just doing things for people. It's not just a nice thing to do. Those of us who are involved with service finally have realized it's the only game in town. Service is the doorway to joy. It's the doorway to fulfillment. And it is more, no amount of self-pleasuring and travel and experience and, and distraction and entertainment can touch the fulfillment that happens doing one good thing for somebody else. And those who've discovered that, uh, that's all they want to do is, well, how can I make a difference for others? So that's a segue, of course, into our career and calling and the importance of finding an appropriate form of service. Speaking of stories, you have some wonderful stories in the book. And just like a, do a couple of them, the Megan Caldwell, when you were at Oberlin, you were uh, coaching. And, and this, Megan, I guess she was like really very, very good in, in uh, diving and platform diving, and then she went off uh, to uh, get a Ph.D., and I forget the topic or subject, but physics, I guess, or something Well, like math and math physics, and yeah, higher-level math. Yeah, right. she was... I knew her in the pool because I was her coach in springboard diving, and right. she was really dedicated and devoted to it. Um, this wasn't going to be her career, but she just loved doing it, so it was, it was her calling. And But I didn't see the aspect of her when she was a brilliant student in math at Oberlin College. And uh, over the years, we lost touch over the years, but she ended up working in uh, heavy-duty secret government projects, uh, using her math skills and physics. Um, but then she reconnected with diving. And um, to make the story a little shorter, she recently uh, won the world uh, masters for her age group above 50 in springboard diving. And she traveled. Some, sometimes she had to take a, a train and two buses and walk several uh, miles to get from Berkeley down to the Stanford campus where she trained in diving with people like Sergey Brin, the Google founder, yes. um, and, and others off working on diving and 
that's how dedicated she was in the rain she dove. Um, and so she was one example in that idea of career and calling where she had a very, uh, you know, serious professional career, but also it, gave, it enriched her life doing diving, and she's continued it uh, into her mid-years. Yes. Also, there's a the great story that you had that you talked about Stuart Anders, who was, a, you, I guess, the athletic director had suggested to you that Sheila might make it a good assistant coach. And you kind of talk about that story. It's a- well, when I started coaching at Stanford, I was a, still a pretty cocky young guy. I was 22 years old, a very young coach, and I was dedicated to getting the best team we could be there. And uh, they said, well, there's a fellow who's been coming in for some years. Uh, his name's Stuart, and he's an older man, and, and he likes helping out. He's a really nice fellow, and, and would you consider letting him stay on? And I said, well, I'll meet him. And he seemed nice enough, and he was regular there, every day punctual, every day he came into the gym. Figured he was a retired guy. I didn't know. Um, and, and then one day he was late, and it was, was unusual. I didn't mind, but I was just making conversation. I said, hey, Stuart, you're a little late today. He said, I'm sorry. I was out flying. I couldn't get in uh, uh, soon enough. Uh, and I said, oh, what were you flying? Like a Cessna, a Piper, uh, you know, Piper Cub? And he said, no, it was a, it's a new plane. It hasn't come out yet. It's called a 747. I was testing it for glide angles. And turned out he was an aerospace engineer, worked for NASA at nearby Moffett Field. And... Uh, he he restored Porsches in his spare time. He was building a jet in his garage, a one-man jet. Um, and and I no longer uh, felt that sense of self-importance <laughs> that he was my this assistant who walked in and helped. But that was his calling. He loved teaching and he loved helping uh, out uh, young athletes, you know, who are striving for to do their best. So he had a man of many interests, and uh, we became good friends. And uh, that's another example of somebody with a serious career who also had a calling he enjoyed doing. And the sense of humility that, that he had. Oh, yeah. That he didn't ever talk about. <laughs> and the lack of perspective I had at that age. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so it's a great learning experience, yes? Yes. Yeah, for sure. The, uh, um, I want to go back. We mentioned the Whammo story. Uh, Kevin Kohler, who uh, who... I guess it was living at home at the uh, to the age of 32, and his parents were like, when are you going to do something with your life? You know. Yeah, they said and, you know it would be nice to get your own apartment, wouldn't it? You are after all 32, yeah, and yeah. but all he liked doing was throwing frisbees, and he was good at it. He'd just been doing it for years, playing ultimate frisbee. Well, after his parents, you know, reminded him that it would be nice to find some kind of work. He got this idea in the shower. It just popped into his head. He, he toweled off, got dressed, and called the Whammo company and uh, talked to someone in their marketing department and said, listen, I'd like you to give me 500 free Frisbees, write the words world peace in English and Cyrillic, the Russian alphabet. And this was during the Cold War. This was some years ago. And then I'd like you to pay my way to Russia, and I'll take those Frisbees, and I will become a Frisbee goodwill ambassador, and I'll throw them around. Uh, you know, I'll teach people in uh, Red Square in the Kremlin to play Frisbee. And they figured it. They said, you know, this wouldn't be that expensive. It'd be great PR. So they said yes. He ended up learning Russian. He ended up marrying a woman who was Russian and leading many tours to Russia after that. So he couldn't really find work for for himself, so he made it up. Now, that may or may not be possible for anybody, but it was one example in that realm of career and calling, how we can combine them. And there's so many different stories. You know, there's an old proverb that says, God invented men and women because God loves stories. Mm-hmm. And each of us, that's our treasure. Each of us has a story or a story in the making. Your 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 own search, you know, your own search has went through a winding process and 
uh, I think you, you, you said it was like, wasn't until you were age 38 in 1984, your career began uh, writing, teaching, and speaking. And you had 16 years of experimentation. So often it's not like it happens overnight, right? No, you know, most of us have heard that saying, it takes 10 years to become an overnight success. And yeah, it took about 16 for me. And I, I, I relate my own winding path uh, seeking what I was here to do. People used to joke with me and say, what are you doing this week, Dan? Uh, and I, even after I fell into the coaching job at Stanford at 22, and then I was a college professor at Oberlin, um, after that, I did things like overload typing at a, a, a law firm in the early mornings, then went to a full-time job at a da doing data entry after I'd been a professor and a coach, and house painting, and I did many different jobs. You know, Francis Bacon once said, we, we rise to great heights by a winding staircase. And I mentioned this quote by Bacon because when we consider it, you know, this was in the 1700s, he said that quote, I believe. Yes. Um, even then it was true. So this is one of those universal things, not just about modern life. And I want people to know that I've been in the trenches. I'm not just theorizing about this in terms of finding our appropriate career and calling that matches our talents, our values, and our interests. Yeah. Uh, you, you referred to a trinity of needs. What is that about, the trinity of needs? Well, there are fundamental needs when we deal with this area of career. Uh, one is to make a good living. And what, what constitutes a good living depends on our life circumstances, our needs, whether we're married or have children. Um, but good money is one, and doing satisfying work. Now, we don't have to love our work, but if we like it, that helps, or at least we find it uh, satisfying or, or suitable. So that's the second uh, need, is to find suitable, enjoyable work. And the third is to serve others. And if we consider our, our work life in line of those three things, making good money, where it seems to match our talents and skills and efforts, um, doing what we find satisfying, and uh, serving other people, I give an example of the only two people I know who enjoy their work and make good money at it, but don't serve anybody. One is a criminal, and the other is a poker player. And as Mark Twain might say, perhaps I make too fine a distinction. <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, the criminal, I don't know what happened with him, actually. Uh, I haven't been in touch for years. The poker player used to say to me, you know, I'm making good money here. But he said, I think there's something more. He felt something missing, and that something was serving other people. Uh, and so that, those are the three areas that really, there are three of the number of different uh, areas I give to help triangulate in and find work that feels right for us. And, and I, I want to emphasize um, that there um, well, maybe maybe after the break, I can mention a, a key to understanding uh, the right work for us. Okay, great. I'm speaking with Dan Millman. He's the author of The Four Purposes of Life, Finding Meaning and Direction in a Changing World. If you'd like more information, you can go to the website, peacefulwarrior.com. You can also get there through New Dimensions' website, newdimensions.org. My name is Michael Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions.
My guest is Dan Millman. He's the author of The Four Purposes of Life, Finding Meaning and Direction in a Changing World. So the third purpose, discovering your life path. Let's just cover that briefly here. Sure. And again, this is the most mysterious and provocative purpose because it it's a numeric system. It is a numerological type system. Uh, and one way to find out one's birth number, and the one I recommend because you won't mistake any make any mistakes in the math, is to go to peacefulwarrior.com. There's a link for life purpose. Click on that and you'll go to a life purpose calculator. And as soon as you put in your date of birth, um, you immediately see a teaser about a paragraph with some key words, key elements that address some of the core issues of your life, drives, um, hidden talents and gifts, and also some hurdles we're here to overcome. Uh, there's no better or worse life path. There's no better or worse, and I was going to say this before the break, there's no best book, teacher, religion, martial art, diet system, uh, exercise form. There's only the best for a given person at a, at a particular time in their life. So I've uh, come to profoundly trust each person's life path and that path they're on, and they'll find their own way on that path. So um, in this third purpose, finding our life path or hidden calling. People can find it at the website, get their birth number. Even if they read the book, I direct them to that. Then they can go back and look at what the numbers mean. And it's uh, there are many forms of numerology from different cultures, but this one happens to be uh, quite an accurate uh, distillation of our, this life path, what we're here to learn through our relationships and the other aspects of life. So... That is a, it can bring a quantum leap in insight and humor. Um, you know, people talk about the ego today and they say, oh, we have to get rid of our ego. It's, you know, it used to be the devil made me do it. Now we blame the ego. Now the ego made me do it. Whereas Freud meant it value neutral. It was just our personality level. And so this gives uh, some fundamental qualities that a way we express and experience life. So that's the third purpose, just to give a quick summary. And, and the fourth purpose, attending to this arising moment. Well, again, when someone hears attending to this arising moment, uh, it's it's very easy to say, oh, I know all about that. I've read Be Here Now, and I've read Tolley's book, The Power of Now, and Dan, your books, and other, others that talk about uh, how it's nice to live in the present. Um, and, and yet, there is more to that picture. It's not just nice. It actually is... This fourth purpose integrates the first three and brings it down to earth. After all the concepts and ideas and areas and uh, pointers in the first three sections, we can come back to the present where we can always handle this moment. And even though someone may not be clear mentally on their cosmic purpose, ultimate purpose here, all of us can know our purpose in each arising moment. Your purpose and mine right now are very clear. And your listener right now, their their purpose is very clear. Some people say, well, yes, but I'm a multitasker. And I go, well, you know, attention is a zero-sum game. We think we're multi getting away with something, doing our texting while we're uh, blow-drying our hair and, by the way, driving to work. Uh, <laughs> but actually, everybody knows when they're talking with someone on the phone and that person is checking their email at the same time, we know because they're kind of vague in their quality of attention. So, you know, my life is quite busy. Uh, many of your listeners, and I know yours is too. So, and yet my life has become very simple when I finally realized I can only do one thing at a time. We can always handle this arising moment. 
whatever it may be. And so I go into and express it in a way that I think hasn't been expressed in quite that way before. How the, the past and future can be nice places to visit. We can plan our day and think about the past and learn from it. But if we recognize that this moment is the only moment of reality, it's the only moment of awareness. The rest is memory and imagination. It's the only moment where the mind is essentially quiet. The moment we think about anything, we're thinking about the past or future. But if we just focus more as a discipline, a healthful discipline, on what's going on right now, um, I, that, that helps simplify our lives in a very fundamental way. And I go into some ways how to do that in the book as well. Breathing helps. Just taking a deep breath, right? Oh, absolutely. And it's a nice thing to remember. I hope your listeners are taking a deep breath right now when they hear that. Um, you know, a young man came to me once and said, Dan, I know you do consultations with people and you charge good money to do that, but I'm a poor college student. I only have a dollar. Can you tell me anything? And I said, all right, you're about to get a great bargain. I said, here and now, breathe and relax. And if we can just remember to do that now and then, take a nice deep breath, because we hold our breath many times during the day without realizing it. When we're pouring water into a, a vessel, a glass, when we're getting our picture taken, almost everybody holds their breath. Um, when we're at a keyboard, we breathe very shallow. Any focused work, by remembering to have the breath like a pendulum, and just more throughout the day, remembering to breathe and relax the body, to shake loose, and focus on the here and now. This, these are some key ideas from that fourth purpose in the four purposes of life. It's a reminder. I can only remind people of what they already know at deeper levels, but we tend to forget. And I offer perspectives and reminders, and that's what I hope this, my new, newest child, the four purposes of life, will do to go out into the world and do some good for people. Um, there was one section of the, of the fourth purpose where you said, uh, we cannot grasp the now. Yes, and it's it's a, a simple fact. You talk to any physicist, and um, if I say the word now, from the time I said the sound n mm, to the time I said ow, uh, a million nanoseconds have passed. Uh, how can you actually grasp a nanosecond? So when teachers like me suggest that we pay attention to the present, I'm really just saying handle what's in front of you. Uh, you know, Mark Twain once said, I've had many troubles in my life, most of which never happened, because most of our troubles are in the past or future. And so it just reminds us to uh, come back to this moment, come back to what is in front of us. And if we take care of that, you know, some people say, I wish I could change my past. And I, I often respond, well, I can tell you how to do that. Live quality in this moment. If you pay attention to the quality of this moment, this moment will soon become your past. And that's what the only way I know of to change the past, is to uh, bring quality into the moment. You know, people have said, Dan, you must really be a very A-type person. You know, you were a world champion. But winning has never been my goal. And, and I've been fairly successful at my writing and speaking. But you know what? Success has never been my goal. Because we cannot control whether we succeed, sink a putt, make a basket, uh, find love. By making a good effort, though, which we can control in this moment, we vastly increase the odds of getting our desired outcomes over not making a good effort. So by focusing on the quality of this moment, we can enhance the quality of our entire life. The gift of life, matter of perspective. Yes, well, you know, as you know, uh, near the end of the book, I, I segue toward the uh, the epilogue, and. 
just offer that reminder that if we were uh, found ourselves in a twilight zone where we were some political prisoner and about to be executed the next morning and we were watching our last sunrise, we would have an entirely different perspective on life, of the gift of each breath, each moment we're given here, and the odds against being born a human being on this particular blue-green gem floating in space. So I do close uh, that last section uh, with that idea of uh, appreciation for each moment. Uh, and again, this is one of the reminders that I like to share and remember myself on occasion. Uh, and then, of course, we segue into the epilogue, which uh, I want to leave with a kind of crescendo where for people who might ask, what about our spiritual purpose? So that's the subject of the epilogue in the book, which uh, suggests ways to build a bridge between conventional reality and the transcendental reality, um, which each, each of those realities has its own truths. When people say there are no accidents, they're talking about transcendental truth. In conventional world, I've spilled things because I wasn't paying attention. So there seem to be accidents conventionally. Or the idea that there's no death. Well, transcendentally speaking, absolutely right. We're never born who we truly are, consciousness, awareness. So I, I finally, at the end of the book, we'll rise into the air, maybe in, like in a balloon, and look at life's bigger picture, which many of us refer to as spiritual practice, understanding the bigger picture of life. So, Dan, where do you see your, the again, not knowing what the future, but what do you, what do you, what's your next step? Sure. Even in the present moment, we can use our imaginative capacities to wonder about the future. And uh, the books I write, I have never written a book just to have a, another book written. In fact, I didn't write a book after I wrote Peaceful Warrior for 10 years because I felt I had nothing fresh to say. So I didn't write a book. But each book has had to justify itself. And there are two more like planes waiting to take off on the runway. And uh, I don't like, obviously, to talk too much about books that are not yet manifest. Uh, but one will be a continuation of the Peaceful Warrior Saga. People have been asking me for years about the story in Japan. So it's time because I have something new and fresh to share. I think it came to me partly in reading uh, War and Peace recently, Tolstoy's book. And he was... Uh, quite a believer in, in the powers of destiny and the multifaceted forces shaping our lives. So that that is one arena uh, I'm going to go into in, in the Japan story, uh, among other ideas, which haven't appeared to me yet, but they always do. And the other book, I think it's going to be time possibly to wind down in, my, in the arc of my writing career, and it might be an appropriate time to write a memoir. And I know there are very, you know, many, many memoirs today, and uh, it has nothing to do with feeling like my story is more important than any others uh, or hubris, but I believe it's going to help people to understand their own lives uh, and the spiritual path. Uh, so I think those are uh, projects. I, I go through phases where I'm expansive, where I'm reaching out and, and talking with folks like you and interviewing and other, uh, then, then I cycle back into this uh, hermit space where I want to be alone in writing. So that's pretty much the rhythms of, of life right now. And I want to reach out to your listeners and, and uh, wish them well in their own journeys and their own purposes. Dan, thank you for being here. It's been great speaking with you. Thank you, Michael. I've been speaking with Dan Millman. He's the author of The Four Purposes of Life, Finding Meaning and Direction in a Changing World, published by New World Library. If you'd like more information about his work, you can go to the website, 
PeacefulWarrior.com. That's PeacefulWarrior.com. You can also get there through the New Dimensions website, and that's NewDimensions.org. My name is Michael Toms, and you've been listening to New Dimensions. This is program number 3404. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You, too, can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. You can also subscribe to our free weekly podcasts and find over a thousand hours of audio dialogues in our searchable archive. New Dimensions is produced by New Dimensions Radio in Santa Rosa, California, USA. Our executive producer is Justine Willis-Toms. Our post-production editor is Lou Judson. For over four decades, New Dimensions has been producing weekly conversations at the leading edge. We sincerely thank all of you who have supported us by being members of Friends of New Dimensions as well as members of our affiliate stations. My name is Dan Drayson. On behalf of everyone at New Dimensions whose endeavors make this program possible, I'm wishing you well. New Dimensions Radio is an independent producer supported by listener contributions. To find out more about the program you've just heard, to subscribe to our free weekly newsletter and our New Dimensions and New Dimensions Cafe podcasts, and to access thousands of other programs in the New Dimensions archive, please visit our website, newdimensions.org. That's newdimensions.org. Or call us at 707-468-5215. That's 707-468-5215. Please join us next time as we explore New Dimensions.